Hello and welcome to the Aviva podcast. This podcast is aimed at our colleagues, giving them a way to find out about all the different things we do as a company, but we also make it for anyone who doesn't work in Aviva. So if that's you, welcome and thanks for listening. This episode is the next in our quantum specials. Quantum is the name of our data science practice here at Aviva. I'm Hattie Atkinson-Smith. I work in the quantum team and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Stephen Shaw, who's Director of Analytics in UK General Insurance, and Jonathan Crabb, who's working on a PhD at the University of Cambridge sponsored by Aviva, which is focusing on the explainability of artificial intelligence. So Steve, I'll come to you first. It'll be good to start with a little background on what machine learning actually is. Yeah, thanks Hattie. Hiya. Okay, so when, when people talk about machine learning i think generally they're referring to the set of algorithms and methods that that allow machines the ability to automatically learn from past data and to do that without being explicitly programmed i guess it sometimes gets conflated with ai as as a concept um, the way i think of that is is machine learning is a really important building block for ai so ai is a really broad field describing how you make systems mimic human-like intelligence, how you make them seem smart. So that could be anything from the assistant on your smartphone to some robotics in a manufacturing process to a chess-playing computer program. And, and most of those applications will use machine learning to draw inferences from data and to deliver those systems. And how are these machine learning models actually applied in insurance and more specifically in Aviva? Yeah, so machine learning's actually really widely deployed within Aviva and, and in insurance more broadly. And those applications are growing every day as we as we capture more data, we're able to store more data and process it. The algorithms are becoming more powerful and easy to deploy. I guess if I just give a, a few examples that kind of come to mind as, as important for Aviva. So firstly, we use machine learning in, in delivering customer recommendations. So the next best product type activity, next best brand. Um, so we use machine learning to understand what we think customer needs will be and recommend and make suggestions for products that would meet those needs. So that's one key area for us. The next one is is pricing. So machine learning is used quite a lot in our pricing processes to give really accurate risk assessments for things like how likely someone is to crash their car or have a pipe burst in their house, for example. So what machine learning allows us to do there is to identify really granular connections in the data that a human modeler wouldn't be able to spot. And what that means is we can we can provide prices that more accurately reflect risk. So where, where customers are lower risk, we can offer them cheaper prices and ultimately that allows us to write more business. And another big area for us is, is claims. We use models and AI across the claims process, so for things like identifying fraud, understanding whether a customer's covered, are they likely to be at fault, should we repair the car or write it off, which garage should we send it to. So right across the value chain and what, what, what that means is we can give really quick consistent service to our customers, quite often keeping them online, which is what customers often want and provide the lowest kind of cost for everybody. So that they're, they're Three examples, I guess, of what we call um, supervised learning. So that's where we try to predict a certain outcome. We also use machine learning in a more unsupervised way to try and understand data a bit better. So we use machine learning in, th in things like complaints analysis, where we'll take what customers are telling us and use machine learning to kind of auto-generate the themes, the topics and the trends 
without having humans read and categorize them, which is expensive, brings all sorts of bias and errors. And what that allows us to do is quickly identify what's happening, what's changing, what we need to do to fix and improve the customer experience. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you. And Jonathan, it's great to have you with us here today. Um, Would you be able to explain the difference between supervised and unsupervised learning when we talk about these machine learning models? Absolutely. So when you think about supervised learning, you typically think about um, setting where there is a teacher teaching you, you know, what to solve the task you want to stop. For instance, imagine you want to tell, to learn how to tell what is the difference between a dog and a cat on an image. Then I'm actually going to present you a lot of image and I'm going to tell you in this image, there is a dog and in this image, there is a cat. So this is unsupervised learning. I'm just teaching you what the difference between the dog and the cat is by showing a lot of examples where there are some labels indicating you what the right answer is. Unsupervised learning, on the other hand, you don't really have teacher. You actually learn by experience. So you can think, for instance, of learning how to play chess. I can just give you a chess board and you are going to play a lot of game of chess and you are going to learn like this by experience. You're going to see what works and what doesn't work by with your own experience. This is more like the unsupervised learning setting where there's no not notion of teacher and no notion of ground truth that is indicating you so with some external labels what to do. How would we go about explaining the predictions of machine learning models? So I think there are essentially two approaches depending on what kind of models you want to explain. So the first approach is you start with a transparent model, like a decision tree, for instance. In this case, it's definitely realistic to look at the model directly to explain the predictions. For instance, if you take this decision tree, you can just obtain the prediction of the model by answering yes, no type questions. You know, like, uh, is my age above 25? Is my BMI below 20? And so on and so forth. The second approach is actually if you start with a complicated model, like a deep neural network. In this case, you know, you cannot stare at the model and try to understand how the predictions come out of the model, right? So you need what we call post hoc explainability. In this case, post hoc explainability is simply a plugin you will add on top of this model. And this plugin is going to output a lot of explanations for the predictions made by the model. Maybe it's useful if we consider a concrete example uh, to illustrate the kind of explanations you can give. Well, imagine if you are, you just have an image of a dog and you are showing this image of a dog to a black box model. The black box model tells you, I'm seeing a dog on this picture. No, you're not, not very happy with the prediction. You want some explanations. The first kind of explanation you can get is feature importance. So in this case, the model is going to highlight the part of the data it paid attention to in order to make the prediction. For instance, you know, the model can focus on the ears or the nose of the dog to recognize that there is a dog on the picture. Another type of explanation is example importance. In this case, the model is just going to point you at similar examples it has seen in the past and that were relevant for making this prediction. For instance, the model can just show you other images of dogs that are similar to the one you just showed to the model and say, yeah, I actually needed these examples before to actually predict that there is a dog on this picture. Another type of explanation is what we call counterfactual explanation. In this case, the model is going to give you the minimal modification of the data so that the prediction changes. So for instance, if I take the image of the dog and I make the, you know, the ears of the dog pointy, then the model might stop seeing a dog and start seeing a cat instead. Of course, other type of explanations exist. I'm just, you know, scratching the surface here. But I, what I think is interesting and insightful in this is that post-talk explainability can be seen as an analogous way to the way us human beings do explanation. In some sense, we can see the brain as a black box and we can see language as a way to explain what's happening in this black box to other human beings. I think that post-talk explainability is almost like the language between machine learning models on the one hand and humans on the other hand. I love that analogy. So this may be a silly question, but why do we need to know what's within the black box? Can't we just trust that it's right? So I don't think it's a silly question. I say it's a very interesting question. Uh, in my opinion, we don't, we shouldn't 
trust the black box just because it's accurate. You know, black box models can pass all sorts of tests without doing anything meaningful. An example that is popping in my mind is a, is a recent paper where people have shown that conversational neural networks are able to identify fish in a very accurate way without actually paying attention to the fish, but by rather paying attention to the fingers of fishermen holding the fish. So I think it's a very good example because it shows that, you know, the way we collect data is biased and imperfect. You know, like in real world, biases can be dangerous and harmful. You can think, for instance, of a model that is trained to decide if a loan should be granted to an applicant or not. Well, you want to make sure that this model is not going to be sensitive to gender or racial biases. So I think the first reason to look within the box is actually to, you know, make some consistency checks, an improvement of the models beyond dry metrics like mean squared errors or cross entropy. On the other hand, you know, like for scientists, I think that trusting a model is never enough. We are curious and want to actually extract knowledge from this model. So I think a second reason to look within the box is to be empowered by the model, using insights from the model to understand something new that was not obvious by just staring at the data. In the example of the fisherman holding the fish, if it was trained on kind of like images of fishermen holding fish, and then that had pictures of fishermen holding other objects, have you seen examples where it's classified them as fish? I think that's a good question. Um, but actually to answer this question, you actually need to do some explainable AI. You actually need to be able to probe the system, probe the, ma the machine learning model and see what it paid attention to. Uh, oh, yeah. So you see, you are have an example where you have a data set that might come in different modalities and you might have different setups. But you want to see what the model found important in order to identify some objects. We definitely need to be able to do this kind of sensitivity analysis. There was definitely a famous example, wasn't there, where an AI was trained to recognize wolves as opposed to dogs. And then they started putting dogs in snow. And that sent the whole thing haywire because it was broadly looking for snow in the background, but they hadn't quite twigged that that's what it was doing. Yes, definitely can happen. So interesting. Steve, on the Aviva side, why do we think it's important to understand how the decision is made by the black box? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's critical for us. I think I think the reason it's critical and the specifics do vary slightly by case. So for example, we've got a lot of processes that have a human in the loop. So commercial lines underwriting would be a good one where ultimately a person is is making a decision about what we underwrite and fraud would be another where often we provide potential frauds to a human to investigate. And, and in those systems, just saying the black box says so wouldn't be effective for the person that is trying to pick up that decision. It wouldn't help us build trust in the AI or the ML system. And so if we're able to explain what the black box, inverted commas, is doing and why, that, that helps us build trust and also makes the, the broader system that it's part of work better. There's clearly the regulatory angle. So we're a financial services organization. We're heavily regulated. We work in some pretty sensitive areas, you know, life and health, for example. Very often it's a requirement to be able to explain and demonstrate to regulators how we've reached certain decisions. So just kind of shrugging and saying, well, this thing over here that I don't really understand told us it was the answer would, would clearly not be acceptable. And similarly, under GDPR, we have certain requirements to be clear on the, the consequences to data subjects. And, and getting that wrong obviously has huge potential consequences. So we've all seen companies that have got it wrong and taken a big reputational hit. Trust is really vital in insurance and in our brand. So it's it's really important that we are deploying machine learning properly, that we have the right controls around it and the right understanding. I guess the final point I would make is that obviously knowing what is happening in the black box and why helps us build better models in the future and helps us evolve what we're doing. And so actually also makes us better as well. So it's a really positive technical thing for us as well. 
Jonathan, what types of people or industries do you see benefiting the most from this research? So um, I think that anyone who is using uh, AI for decisions impacting human beings should pay attention to explainable AI. Uh, maybe let me try to build my argument for two profiles. Imagine you are a machine learning skeptic. Then maybe explainable AI can actually convince you to adopt machine learning models through a more educated and responsible usage. So imagine you are completely on the other side of the spectrum. You are a machine learning proponent. You want to use machine learning models for everything. Well, AI is very likely to be regulated, as Steve mentioned. So you're going to be held accountable for what your model are doing. So in this case, I think that explainable AI can help you to navigate with regulation. For instance, if you want to deploy a model to decide if applicants should be granted a loan, I go back to this example. If you do that in the US, you actually already fall under the Equal Credit Opportunity Act. And this act requires you to justify the decisions that you are making. So in this case, you definitely need explainable AI to explain what the model did. So it's likely that other similar regulations like this are going to appear in the future. So in my opinion, the need for explainable AI is likely to increase for pretty much everybody in the industry. In the research world, I think you also need to extract scientific knowledge from the model. And in this case, you definitely also need explainable AI. So if you are more in a research-oriented field of the industry, you also need explainable AI. I think that's a good example for that that I'd like to discuss is a paper from Davis uh, where they actually use explainable AI to guide the intuition of mathematicians. And they use explainable AI to kind of make the mathematician understand a mathematical model. And this helped mathematicians to prove crucial and novel results. So in this case, you have a very good example of how explainable AI can allow you to gather highly non-trivial knowledge. What do you think are the most important challenges there are to tackle in explainable AI? In my opinion, there are like two very big challenges. Uh, the first one is what we call robustness. And this is really related to, you know, making sure that the explanations you are giving are faithful to the models. I think there is an increasing interest in this field, but still very underexplored. So definitely a good research agenda to pursue, I think. A second big challenge is improving models through interpretation. So I, I think Steve mentioned that. Uh, there are some examples of this in the literature. But I think there lacks a principled and rigorous way of doing this in general. Because there are a lot of other challenges and a lot of challenges also revolving around this too. Uh, but I think that, you know, the future looks bright. Like, explainable AI is a very hot, active and important field. It's really interesting to think of the future of being able to improve these models based on this explainable AI. I think that's really exciting. It's not really been explored that much. Steve, how is your team transitioning from traditional data analysis and modeling to machine learning and AI? Yes, good question. Um, so obviously, we can see that there are huge opportunities and potential benefits in machine learning and AI. We've managed to realize some of them, but we still still a lot to go at across, you know, whether it's being more efficient, selecting risks better, improving the customer's experience and so on. And, and, and I guess the first job probably is to understand the scale and the size and the priority order of those opportunities. So we've seen huge benefits in upgrading our pricing models, for example, in personal lines. There are some areas where you just don't need to do that and pretty simple models are fine. Once you've got that sense of what are the priorities, obviously you need the right people to be able to really utilize machine learning and AI. We, we've done some pretty smart recruitment historically. So we've, we've brought in external people with the right skills to catalyze what we're doing, bring in a different viewpoint and that that's really helped step change what we do but equally the the team that we have are very smart have transitioned really well and have picked up a lot of the techniques and the tools for building machine learning and ai applications so you need the right people and then obviously you need to give them the right tools and the right processes so we've brought in new tools we've put in place new process we've developed new controls i think we've still got some work to do to really 
completely embed things like MLOps across all of our processes, but you know, we, we kind of have a roadmap and we know what to do there. And I think the final thing I would say is it's obviously a journey. So we have to an extent just scratched the surface of what you can do with AI. And I think I think it's incumbent on us in, in partnership with the business leaders at Aviva to not just replace process A with a pretty similar looking process B that happens to have some machine learning in it, but to really rethink how can you deliver a claims outcome or whatever the process is and, and totally reimagine it given the difference in what's now possible. Jonathan, I'm sure we'll have some of that amazing data community joining from inside and outside of Aviva. What types of tools and techniques are you using in your research they'll probably be interested in? Yeah, so my research actually focuses on what we call latent representations run by the model. So, you know, most existing works in explainable AI focus on explaining the model predictions. But if you think about this, the predictions are only the model output. So this is the tip of the iceberg. There are many intermediate steps that are required to transform the model input to the model output. And those intermediate steps are exactly what I'm studying. So this is related to what people call representation learning. I think that developing explainable AI in this direction would be very beneficial because it will allow us to interpret unsupervised and self-supervised models where the output is not, you know, the only thing you are paying attention to. As a former physicist, I'm also very interested in time series analysis. You know, very often in many high-stake applications like medicine or finance, data is time-dependent. And in this field, I have developed feature and example importance explanations for time series models. So for the people who are interested, they can check the methods that are called Dynamask and Simplex uh, online. And that's related to the time series analysis part of my research. Brilliant. And finally, Steve, why is Aviva investing in sponsoring research like this through the University of Cambridge partnership? Yeah, it's really it's really simple, really. So we are, I guess, ultimately a commercial organisation. So we, we want to see returns on investment. So we're not set up to be a research shop and do long horizon research into really cutting edge areas. So what the partnership with Cambridge gives us is in areas that we know are useful to us and really interesting to us, access to people like Jonathan to really genuinely world-leading cutting-edge research and the ability to stay one step ahead of competitors and where regulators would go and make sure that we are seeing real value from research like this. So it just gives us an opportunity really to have access to great stuff and the ability to implement it and use it before others would in a really cost-effective way. Brilliant. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for here on the Aviva podcast. Steve and Jonathan, thank you so much for your time today. And Jonathan, good luck for the remainder of your PhD. And don't forget to subscribe to the Aviva podcast so you don't miss any episodes. 